Welcome to the First Down Rundown podcast, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. And I'm back. I'm back within five days. Um, I last reported a podcast on Saturday, November 4th. Today is Thursday, November 9th. And obviously, you know, if you heard in my last podcast, which if you didn't, please go listen to that podcast. Um, I, I didn't record a podcast for like a month and now I'm back within five days, which is obviously kind of, you know, going in line with what I wanted to, where I was, you know, kind of trying to do in terms of, um, you know, just kind of getting the, getting, getting the regularly scheduled programming back on track. Obviously that kind of month of October there was, was a bit of a misfire in terms of being able to sit down and actually do this. And, and obviously I didn't, didn't really get anything out. Um, but, but like I said, I saw that the download numbers were up. People are listening to the podcast. People are enjoying it and people are liking it. And that's, I could not thank every one of you uh more for 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 continuing to just kind of hear me talk about sports which is what I love to do and and definitely glad that you guys are are along for the ride in that um Again, Hayden. At this point, maybe there there might even be listeners to this who don't even who don't even know who Hayden is. He's just this mystical being who uh, who who you know who who I just continue to talk about without actually explaining anything. Hayden is my brother, and he is the other co-host of this podcast. Uh, he is having some some. Uh, he, he's he's in his last semester. Well, I guess second to last semester of college. He's pretty busy, so he's not able to join me kind of for this fall term here um, into uh, into winter. But but he'll probably be back on. Here and probably within a month, uh, you know, kind of going into the middle of December there when his semester his semester's finishing around the holidays and and stuff like that. And that's obviously that's when pretty much I mean college football is kind of like into the bowl games or you know getting previewed for the national championship, uh, as well as the NFL getting you know closer to the end of the regular season and into the playoffs. So that's when uh, that's when Hayden will be kind of back on the podcast to join me there. But in the meantime, you're stuck with me. And I mean, if it was up to me, you know. I would say that I'm probably the one who carries the weight on this podcast to begin with. Um, so, so that's why I'm here and, and I'm still doing, and I'm still kicking and, and, uh, and we got a good lineup today. Um, obviously you're going to kind of read the, the, the title. We're back into kind of the, you know, the last episode was state of the league. You know, where are we at with the NFL, college football, you know, NBA started, college basketball started, hockey started. So all of this, you know, this is kind of like the best time in sport. The MLB, the, the World Series had finished, you know, not, not too long ago. So this is kind of the best time in sports when there quite literally is, or, you know, there's games going on in, in, in pretty much every single sports league. League, uh, you know, basically except for baseball, right? So, uh, so that's kind of where I'm at with the sports calendar right now. It's it's probably the best it, it could be. Um, it's the best it's going to be. And and two, you know, we're gonna kind of talk about it a little bit, but obviously, like it's week ten of college football. It's week nine of the NFL. You know, so it's like we're getting to that point where you know we're or no, I think it's I think it's week eleven of college football. Week week ten of the NFL. And so we're getting to that point where we're we're halfway through the season, more than halfway through the college football season. I'm actually actually almost to the end there uh, of the of the college football season. And so, you know, you kind of have to ground yourself a little bit right like we we look forward to you know the football season pretty much all year and then it's over within the blink of an eye and it obviously coincides with a lot of the you know kind of the, the transition from summer to fall and and you know how you you know you kind of have you know the fall months in September like my birthday's in September you have Halloween at the end of October you have obviously Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up here in in the next couple months as well and so while Yes, those things are exciting to celebrate. I think it's almost more important to well, I'm not saying to to celebrate football over your own family, even though that's that's kind of what I do. Um, but it's almost it's almost more important to be like, hey, this is you know, like football is going on right now. Like you know, we're in the middle of the season. There's kind of you know, 
at least for the NFL season, we're pretty much halfway through. Obviously, in terms of like the season as a whole, we're less than halfway through because you know with the playoffs and Super Bowl and all of that. But in terms of you know there being you know, 13 to 16 football games on every every weekend, you know, Thursday, Sunday, and Monday, that's not going to last for, for, for you know, for the rest of your life, right? I mean, that's going to that's gonna end here pretty much in, uh, in the end of December, beginning of January. So, um, yeah, so obviously you can tell how I feel about that after spending five minutes discussing the state of my uh, mental when it comes to the fact that I have to grieve about already being halfway through the football season, uh, and, and, uh, and here we are. But, uh, but obviously given that, we, we, we kind of have a chance to understand where we're at big picture with the leagues, and that's kind of like what I said. You know, I was talking about last week in regards to like you know the NFL scoring is down, and it's so funny. And again, I'm I'm not obviously I I I I take in a ton of content, other podcasts, reading articles and, and everything, um, pretty much throughout every day, really. Uh, and and so I'm able to kind of curate. The, the information that I take in and kind of just like put it out here on the podcast, and that's where I get a lot of the inspiration for for what I talk about here is just kind of a combination of other stuff that I listen to and read. And, and the whole NFL scoring deal, I basically recorded that podcast on Saturday, and then everything I've heard this week so far has just been like, the NFL scoring is down. What's the reason for the scoring being down? All this stuff. And a lot of the reasons that I gave were things that people are saying, you know, kind of legitimate reasons for why the NFL scoring is down so far. Um, and, uh, like some voice crack there, I'm sure you, I'm sure you really enjoyed that, but, um, but right. It's, you know, it's, it's the, it's the offensive lines are bad. Like quarterback play is bad. And, you know, to a certain extent, quarterback play is a reflection, uh, to a certain extent of offensive line play as well. And so there's almost this, you know, this kind of this kind of you know impasse that we're getting to where, uh, defenses are not only employing that cover two shell to be able to cover, for you know to to protect everything deep, but they're also you know employing the best uh, strategy, which is getting pressure with four with four down linemen. And if you if you if if the goal is to get pressure with four line for defensive linemen, you're going to need the best defensive linemen you can get. And and we're just seeing that the the talent, the overall talent disparity between defensive linemen and offensive linemen, I think has really taken effect. Not only on just the you know the NFL scoring at large in general, but also just the quarterbacks play. You know, not, and and quarterback play in terms of you know yes, like defensive linemen are getting to quarterbacks quicker, but also like you know we've seen how many quarterbacks go down thus far throughout the season, and you know we're we're, we're getting starting quarterbacks uh, in these in these you know Clayton Toon and you know and, and Josh Dobbs and Jaron Hall and Taylor Heineke and you know like half the quarterbacks on any given Sunday are like who are these guys like they're not even you know starting NFL quarterback talent or or caliber, and a lot of that too is like well if you if the offensive line is bad and they can't protect the starting quarterback, you're going to end up with a lot of backups, going to end up with a lot less scoring. So I think that that argument kind of came to fruition a lot. In the media this week, and I'm kind of glad that I was able to cover it uh, on that last episode there. So uh, as as kind of a transition into this episode, which obviously now, since I'm kind of back doing this every week, we can actually talk about what happened in the previous week. And I think the two biggest storylines are, and you'll see it in the title, uh, the Cowboys and Dolphins, both of which had, uh, you know, games against quality other quality teams this past weekend in their conference uh and both of which kind of came up short and we're kind of seeing beginning to see a little bit of a pattern in terms of uh how you know each of those teams are losing those games so i'll start off with the cowboys and the eagles um actually no i'll do dolphins and chiefs because that's what that's kind of happened in, in in sequential order the dolphins and chiefs played in frankfurt germany this past weekend there were a lot of chiefs fans there i think it was a chiefs home game that got moved to germany so i think they 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 i think they they sold more tickets to the chiefs 
Chiefs fans because they are like the Chiefs are essentially giving up a home game to be able to uh, play this game in Germany. So, uh, but even still, there's I mean the Chiefs fans they they flock to anywhere a lot better than the Dolphins fans will. So uh, yeah, so so the crowd was was pretty much all Chiefs fans and and we really saw from start to finish this was a Chiefs uh, domination, right? I mean, you know, you you, you kind of blinked your eye and the Chiefs are up, you know, 7 nothing on the first drive. And then, you know, they they go down, they get a turnover, whatever, they get another touchdown. Okay, cool. And then we have the infamous play at the end of the first half where Tyreek Hall or Tyreek Hill um catches a ball on a screen pass. He's getting tackled, he gets the ball ripped away from him. Uh the defender then pitches it back at kind of a uh, in a um what the heck is that thing called? Lateral and uh, and the defense and the other guy uh, Cook, I think is his name. He was kind of I hadn't heard of him before. Um, he runs it back for a touchdown. The Chiefs are up twenty one nothing at halftime. Well, then you look at the final score. The Chiefs won twenty one to fourteen. So you're thinking, okay, well, so hold on. So if you watch the first half, you're like, oh my god, this Chiefs team is going to win the Super Bowl again. It's all over. Don't even play any any more games. We already know the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. And the Dolphins, for being you know six and two to this point and putting up seventy points against the Broncos and all of this offensive success that they've had so far, it looks like they don't even know what they're doing anymore. And I, and then you get to the end of the game and you look at the score and it's twenty one fourteen and you're like, okay, well, well, actually, it seems like. You know, the Dolphins were able to figure something out in the second half to where the Chiefs couldn't score a single point, and the Dolphins did put up 14 and realistically had a couple drives there late to be able to go down and tie it and potentially send it to overtime or win the game outright, you know, with the two-point conversion. Uh I, and and I understand both sides of those arguments, and again, it depends on kind of if you caught the game or you know what time you were catching the game at. Uh, I, I I did watch pretty much all of the game, and I will say that I come away with this more so. I guess I guess in terms of a you know stock up, stock down. I think the Chiefs. I I, I come away thinking higher of the Chiefs than I do the Dolphins, and then again, obviously the title of the podcast, the dolphins that are frauds. And so I'm going to kind of explain my, explain my reasoning there. But, but, um, but I think that, you know, a lot of people are saying, Oh, well, you know, right, the, the, you know, the dolphins kind of got boat raced there in the first half, but they were able to you know, kind of pull it together and, um, you know, and, and come out in the second half, make it a good game, get some touchdowns on the board and really be in a position to, to actually win the game uh, at the end. Here's some, Here's some uh, two main things that I'll that I'll kind of get over here. And obviously, you know, the first is that we we see any time the Dolphins are facing at least the three times that the Dolphins have faced a a good, you know, starting caliber defense in the NFL so far, it has been an absolute loss, right? It was it was the Bills uh, at first where they lost forty eight to twenty. Um, the uh, the Eagles on that Sunday night football game they lost thirty one to seventeen, and then this game obviously against the Chiefs where they lost twenty one to fourteen. So they each of their three losses have been at least have by, been at least a, a touchdown difference, right? And obviously with the Bills it was four touchdowns, the Eagles it was two touchdowns, and in in all of those games you almost get the sense that like. Okay, well, we've seen this Dolphins team play so well and their offense just be so successful on a down-to-down basis in all of their other games, which, again, those other games consist of, you know, teams like the Giants and the Panthers, which we now see are two of the absolute worst teams in the entire league, right? Uh, But... But we still see the success of the offense, and we you know we know that Mike McDaniel can scheme this stuff up, and and the success that he's had. I mean, they had a lot of success last year too. They made the playoffs, and they started Skylar Thompson, their third string quarterback, in the playoff game against the Bills, and almost won that game. Right, so th- there is no. I- I'm not saying the Dolphins are frauds because I don't think they're going to be able to, you know, win any more games. No, I-, I think that their their team is set up such that you know the the. The offensive scheme that they run, which is heavily reliant on you know motion pre pre snap motion essentially, where you're having 
wide receivers and running backs kind of, you know, shifting back and forth, uh, trying to kind of catch the defense off guard to be able to kind of get off of their their scheme of what they're trying to do and, and then be able to run, uh, you know, plays, quick plays, really, running, running and passing um, off of that pre-snap motion to be able to, you know, just kind of create explosion and, and, and really, you know, kind of run their offense from there. But the, the main issue is, and we've seen this almost with the 49ers too, because obviously, you know, Mike McDaniel was, was a coach under Kyle Shanahan, who's the coach for the 49ers. And, and, and we see that Kyle Shanahan, you know, kind of predicates everything off of the run game, right? And, and if your run game is not going well, you're not going to be able to run that play action um, and, and everything kind of gets bottled up from there. And I think that as much as we love to, I think, you know, fantasize over how good Tua is and, and how, you know, amazing Tyreek Hill is and Jalen Waddell, you have this great receiving core, this, you know, this good quarterback who's insanely accurate. Uh, you know, he throws the ball with his left hand and the pass looks so pretty coming out of a kind of coming out of his hand. I think that the, the, the really the key to these types of offenses is being able to run the ball successfully and obviously we saw when uh, Devon Achan was in there in the in the first couple games before he, he he got sent on the IR he was really killing it and and then obviously you have Raheem Mostert who's also you know one of the fe- most fast uh, player or one of the fastest players in the NFL he comes in there and it doesn't really miss a beat. But but when they've gone up against these defenses, you know, namely the Bills, Eagles, and Chiefs, which are three of the top ten defenses in the league, Bills obviously have, have gotten a little bit, uh, you know, they 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 statistically they're lower, but that's just because of how many injuries they faced. And so coming into the season, these are top three, you know, or three of the top ten defenses in the in the league. And when the when the Dolphins have faced these teams, they haven't been able to get the running game going. And so when you when you see you know, to a drop back and, 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 and try to find Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, like he'll, he'll get the ball down the field. They'll score some points, but they're not, it's, it's not this offensive explosion that we've seen in a lot of these other games. I mean, you got to think back, like the Panthers were winning against the Dolphins. I think it was 14 to nothing. And the Dolphins score 35 straight points and absolutely route that game. And, and, and that's all well and good. You know, when you're playing against the Panthers who are one and seven and the worst team in the NFL, they were actually the last team to get a win in the NFL as well. So when, when you're when you're comparing it to those types of games those types of game states where just the the overall you know the the way the trends the way that the game is being played is such that the the dolphins are able to establish a run game and they can run the the quick pass game off of that they can get some deep shots downfield to Tyreek Hill like that's going to work for the dolphins but when they face up against a defense who can stuff the run and who can rough you know rush the passer we're not seeing the dolphins have any success at all and i think that a, a big a big issue here is that coming into the year we were all talking we talked about Tua Tagovailoa you know he he's he's had some some sparks here and there obviously last year was kind of his coming out party in terms of really being able to make this offense work in tandem with on the other side of that coin though you know he, he's had injury concerns right when he was at Alabama in college he had you know he he, he broke his hip uh, I think in his last year there were some injury concerns coming into the league and then obviously every every year that he's been in the league he's suffered from a concussion and so and, and that was really what knocked him out for pretty much the whole back half of the season last year and then we got the stories coming into this year that oh he's practicing judo and he's learning how to fall and yes that's actually legit like you you do need to know how to fall when you're a quarterback in the league because of how often you're getting hit and from you know all these different angles and you never know when it's coming you're you know your backside pressure you're going to get crushed in the back all of that is important and it is actually important to know how to fall and so we get a lot of you know a, a lot of positive sentiment coming out in turn in in addition or in advance of this season being like Tua knows how to fall now he's gonna you know he's gonna get the ball out quickly he's not gonna run he's gonna slide before uh before he gets tackled if he does run and 
to a certain extent, that has worked out. Obviously, we haven't seen him go down with a concussion. We haven't seen him go down with any other injuries, and obviously, you know that that we wouldn't want that to happen. We're not rooting for that to happen, uh, you know, in general. But at the same time, you know, the the offense works such that Tua doesn't have to face pressure, and, and you know, we see this a lot of the time when either he's hunting, handing off to the running backs, and on running plays, you don't have to worry about pressure anyway. But all of the pass plays that have been so successful in this offense that is running so well, uh, you know, like an like a well oiled machine anyway. Um, the the passes are so quick, man, and 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 so his time from you know getting the snap to releasing the ball and passing it downfield, or even you know quick short over the middle to Tyree Killer, Jalen Waddle, like the 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 time from getting the snap to throwing the ball is extremely fast. And again, that's good. Like if you're gonna run a successful offense, you'd want that to be the case, especially given that you have such good athletes you know, in your in, in your in your wide receiver room and running back room to where, hey, just get the ball in their hands. They're gonna make some play they're gonna make a play with it, right? And and, and that being that makes Tua's job extremely simple to where he just has to get the ball in the hands of these guys and they'll do the rest of the work for him. But I think that when he begins to face pressure, we're kind of entering in that zone to where He's beginning to face pressure, and I think because he's so used to having an easy out, whether that be, again, you know, pitch the ball to the right receiver, throw the quick right receiver screen where you're, you're not throwing down veer, you're just throwing laterally to the side and letting Tyreek Hill take it for, for however long he can. Or, you know, we get these drag routes that are like, you know, two or three yards across the line of scrimmage, and then the wide receiver is taking it for, you know, for 20, 30 yards downfield. When, when most of your offense is made up of those scenarios – it begins to get a little bit tough to know what to do under pressure, and, and and you know where we see like a Joe Burrow, for example, and we're going to talk about Joe Burrow uh, later in his his you know his amazing game against the Bills. Um, you know when he faces pressure, like he he stands he steps up in the pocket, he evades the pressure, he gets around it, he starts running to the side. You know he, he he's able to throw on the run. Tua doesn't have to do any of that, and and whether it's a combination of not having to do that because of the scheme of the offense or not having to not wanting to do that not putting him not wanting to put himself in a situation that would render himself you know viable uh or you know or vulnerable to to the passers to be able to get hit and potentially you know kind of uh you know kind of can cause a concussion there so i think that it there's a lot of factors at play in terms of why we're not seeing Tua able to face pressure um i think a lot of that i think most of it is probably because the offense doesn't is designed such that he he doesn't right in general um and shouldn't uh to where right even when he doesn't see like if he if he doesn't see anything open he's gonna throw it away uh rather than kind of you know scramble out of the pocket and try to find someone deep downfield so and 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 again they're scoring a lot of points it's really good but i think just i in my personal opinion like I want to see a quarterback get out of the pocket and be able to throw downfield, man. Like I, it just it seems so gimmicky to only be able to throw from the pocket, only be able to throw from a clean pocket, and when then when you do escape the pocket, you know you're you're either running and 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 absolutely you know terrified of getting hit, and so you're sliding before really before you know you even should or. It's it's you know you're not comfortable with running out of the pocket and so when you do get out of the pocket you're like I don't really know what to do I'm just gonna chuck it downfield or chuck it out of bounds and so that's gonna be my kind of thing to watch with the Dolphins here going forward is specifically with Tua too is like is he gonna be able to to kind of settle in you know just kind of look like I guess a regular quarterback in the pocket and again I know that a lot of this isn't his fault because that's the scheme that Mike McDaniel runs but there, there's gonna be 
games, especially when we get to the playoffs, where you know that that's going to be you're going to be facing off against the best defenses. They are going to bring pressure. Uh, so so I think that you know as we go throughout the season, we're going to have to kind of keep that in mind. And obviously now too, the Dolphins. So the Dolphins are on by, um, or they, you know, they're, well, yeah, they're on by now this week, this this coming week. Uh, and then I think they have like an insanely easy schedule. I mean, they play, I know they play the Raiders, they play the Jets, they play all these the Patriots, they play all these teams where, uh, or no, they play, I played the Patriots twice, but I know they play the Jets and the Raiders, and and I think a couple other. Um, you know, pretty bad teams. Uh, you know, in, in their upcoming schedule here, and so they're going to end up winning a lot of games, and, and the, they very well might win the division based on how the Bills are looking right now. But then it's 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 just like it almost looks like you know they can be kind of a paper tiger where it's like you know they're 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 very solid. They, you know, they know what they want to do. They're very good at executing what they want to do. But then like at that simplest or or at the littlest inkling of you know th- this isn't going right or you know the the plan isn't going as we as we wanted it to. You know, it, it almost can throw everything off. So that's kind of why. And again, it was a long it was a long explanation. But that's kind of why I come away feeling like the Dolphins are a little bit on the fraud watch here. The Chiefs, and again, people are going to be like, well, the Dolphins outscored the Chiefs 14 to nothing in the second half. The Chiefs are, and Andy Reid specifically, is notorious for, if you have a lead at halftime, absolutely sitting on it, right? We saw this in the Jets game, that Sunday night game against the Jets. The Chiefs and Jets played, I think the Chiefs ended up winning by three. Um, but it was, it was what? It was, I think it was like 17 nothing, like in the first quarter. And the Chiefs just sat on it for the rest of the game and barely scored. And Zach Wilson, you know, he's looking amazing. He's going to bring him down. Yes, you know, Chris Collinsworth is, is is yelling his yelling his yelling his butt off, trying to trying to you know homer for for Zach Wilson. And it's like, dude, Andy Reid knows he's going to win this game because he knows that he has number fifteen, Patrick Mahomes. And and if they need some points, they're going to be able to get it. And and there's so there's been so many examples where, right, if the Chiefs are up at halftime in this game, they were up twenty one nothing, like. He's not going to try to go out there and score 45, right? A, because why would you risk, you know, your players getting hurt by trying to score every single time you go down the field? But B, he has so many of those gadget plays, those, you know, those those crazy, you know, merry-go-round, like, you know, shovel pass backwards and fake field goal plays that, that, that he wants to save for the playoffs when it really matters to be able to win another Super Bowl, right? So, so I think that that's that that's kind of the combination of why we don't see the Chiefs really break out to a lead in the second half. Where we did see that happen when Patrick Mahomes kind of his first couple years, they were absolutely boat racing teams and just running up the score as much as they could. I think they're playing a lot more smart now, where it's like, hey, you know that we don't we don't need to score another twenty one points in the second half. Like as as long as we have the lead and we know that Patrick Mahomes can drive us down the field and get a field goal or a touchdown whenever we need to what you know what what what's the point in 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 trying to score a touchdown every single drive and to back this up the Chiefs defense is I think arguably the best in the league right now and that's I think the, the scariest part about this whole thing is the fact that the Chiefs offense is arguably or the Chiefs defense is arguably better than the Chiefs offense in terms of you know statistically and, and scoring wise and everything mainly because the Chiefs uh you know the wide receiver room just isn't what it has been in in, in past years um and, and and so I think that that's kind of the craziest part is like you obviously have Patrick Mahomes everything I just said where he can drive down and score your touchdown score your field goal whenever you need to regardless of whether or not his receivers are you know up to snuff of what they have been even the past few years but 
you almost have a cheat code now on the other side of the ball where it's like, okay, well, even if Mahomes doesn't score us a touchdown, we're going to lean on the defense because they've been so good statistically throughout the year as well. So I, I just, it sucks because the Chiefs have been so good for the past, you know, I mean, they're right. Hosting the AFC Championship game each of the last five years, they've been the number one seed heading into the playoffs, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. I mean, you know, right, they're, they've, they're already number one seed uh, in the AFC right now. They're going to continue to win games unless, you know, something crazy happens and Patrick Mahomes goes down. Like, this team's probably going to win another Super Bowl or at least, you know, be in an extremely competitive uh, – have, have the competitive advantage to be able to get there, seeing that they'll probably go for the one seed now again and they'll be able to host the AFC Championship game, and it's – it's a it's a, it's a tough thing to do to go into Kansas City and 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 win a uh, win a playoff game, especially when the Super Bowl is on the line. So that's kind of what I take away from that game. The Chiefs I just think are are kind of undeniable again, and the Dolphins we're starting to see a little bit of cracks in the armor, right? Like places where the Dolphins can kind of be exposed a little bit, and I don't think they will, especially in the you know the next I think four or five weeks where they'll probably finish the season you know ten and seven, eleven and six, and they're going to look like a great team and, and potential you know twelve and five. The, the, potentially win that division the AFC East and 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 look amazing going into the playoffs and then you know one bad game against a you know a Chargers team that can get pressure on Tua and you know we 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 might we might see that uh you know take kind of quick quickly tumble uh you know qu- faster than faster than we thought might be possible the other game that I want to talk about is Cowboys and Eagles. Um, it just, it was just so sad. I mean, the Cowboys, like it just, every big game they play, it just seems like they can't, they can't live up to it. And that's again, similar. That's why I kind of wanted to tie it with the Dolphins because it's kind of the same story at this point. I mean, you had so many instances, I'm just going to run through them. So um, there was a fourth down play where the Cowboys drew up a play for Jalen Tolbert and like Dak misses him. And it's like, you know, you're giving the Eagles the ball there and in, in your opponent's territory, we had the uh, shoemaker catch. So, you you know, one of the one of the very one of the various uh, you know white tight ends for for the Cowboys, uh, Shoemaker. He is he's on the goal line. He catches the ball and his knee goes down, and the ball is like five inches short of the line. And it's interesting because I heard. And, and saw a lot, and you probably you know if you're if you're deep enough on Twitter, you probably saw this too. Where if he bobbles the ball before going down to the ground and, and, you know, bobbles it in the air and then, you know, turns his body to reach the ball over the goal line and then establishes possession of the ball after he's already, uh, you know, passed the goal line, regardless of whether or not his knee has hit the ground, his knee can already hit the ground, but if he's bobbling the ball, it's when he gains possession of it. So if he turns his body and bobbles the ball once, right? And, and, well, actually, if, if his body does the exact same motion as it did anyway, and he just bobbles the ball once and ends up catching it, that's a touchdown for the Cowboys. And and obviously, you know, that wasn't the end of the game, but the Eagles would have had to go down and score a touchdown in their own right. And, and that could have changed the outcome of the game. We have a two-point conversion attempt where, you know, the Eagles are, or the Cowboys are down by five. It was that last touchdown they had scored. Um, and that was actually, ironically, that was Jalen Tolbert, I think, who got the touchdown pass. Um, and then we, you know, we have the two-point conversion attempt where, you know, they try to run a play. It doesn't really work out. Dak ends up running out to the side and reaches the ball over the end zone. They call it good. And then they look back and his, his foot was like a, sec, a centimeter out of bounds before the ball was able to cross the plane. And the Cowboys don't get that two-point conversion. That would have made it a field goal game. And then we have the final drive. The Cowboys, finally, they get the ball back. They're on like their own 11-yard line. They get a 40-yard pass interference call. They get a 15-yard, uh, I think it was roughing the passer or some sort of unsportsmanlike conduct or whatever. Um, and then I think a third penalty against the against the, the Eagles as well to basically land them with first and goal in the six-yard line. And they've only gained like 15 yards of actually you know running plays on offense. 
First and goal on the six yard line leads to I think it was a sack and then a delay. Or no, I think it was I think it was a I think it was a delay of game uh, or false start delay of game and then like two sacks to end the game and that was it. And then they throw short of the goal line. Uh, they throw the the pass to Ceedee Lamb short of the goal line. He's not able to get in. And and that was the game. That was it. That you know that ended the game. The Cowboy or the the Eagles end up winning the game. And and it's just like so many things went. I guess went wrong. You could say for the Cowboys that that you know if you have that you know right if if Shoemaker is able to bobble the ball and then you know do his exact same body motion he scores and they potentially win the game if Dak converts on that two point conversion and then we had that same drive of you know penalties that that are given to the to the um to the Cowboys they're able to kick a field goal on fourth and goal instead of having to go for it from like twenty five yards out they go to overtime who knows what can happen there so many chances for the Cowboys to win the game but again we just end up in a situation where they don't win that game and I think like. When you have so many examples of a team doing this over and over and over again, I think the only thing you can point to is the coaching and just decision-making by Mike McCarthy, which he's always been known as kind of the guy who's just kind of a a big loaf on the sideline who doesn't really know what's going on during the game. And and sure, he can call it a heck of an offense. I, you know, give him credit. He won the Super Bowl with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. You know, he's had this, this, this Cowboys offense playing well for the past three years, but it just seems like in these high leverage spots and, and we saw it even back to, you know, two years ago in the playoff game, um, against the 49ers with the chips of the NFC championship on the line, you know, they run a play with what 11 seconds left. They try to go down and spike the ball, but there's not enough time left to spike the ball because the ref has to touch the ball. And they didn't like know that. And it's like, like you have to know the rules of the game or at least be able to project these things out to where when, you know, when you are in a situation like this, you can model what you're supposed to do when, and and, then how to put your players in the best position to succeed. And, and we just don't see that happening from the Cowboys and it, and it kind of sucks, right? Because like, this is a very talented team. This is a great, Great team stacked up and down. The defensive, you know, the defense, the defense really after the after the Eagles score. I mean, the Eagles went up, I think what? It was it was 20 28 to 17, I think. And you're thinking, oh man, this game's over with. And then defense gets like five straight stops. And Jalen Hurts, obviously, you know, he's he's banked up, he's got a knee injury, whatever. I think, you know, he's on the bye this week. So I think he'll be able to kind of heal up and and get ready for their gauntlet that's coming up because they got, I mean, geez, they I think they play the I think in successive weeks, I think they play the the 49ers, Chiefs, Bills, and Cowboys all in a row uh, for the next four four games. So, and those are arguably you know four of the best teams in the league right now. So, uh, he needs to be healthy for that. But I think that you know. He, Yes, he he's his knee is a little bit banged up. Okay, whatever. Maybe that contributes to the Cowboys being able to get some stops on that side of the ball in the second half there. But but the defense is playing well, and and, and they've been playing well in pretty much every other game we see. I mean, their their defense has outscored a lot of their opponents. I mean, we right think about like the Giants game. They won forty to nothing in that you know in that opening game of the season. And even that, you know, the, the previous game, um, you know, that the Cowboys were able, you know, in many instances were previous games where Cowboys were able to, you know, to simply outscore the opponents just with their defense. Um, oh, the Rams. That's what I was trying to think. I'm like, who did they play before that? Yeah, the Rams. Like, they're up 21 or 23 to 6, like, you know, at the end of the first quarter, halfway through the second quarter. And it's like, they don't even need to try, right, for the rest of the game. And then they get into spots like this where it's like, okay, we, we, we see that the talent is there. We see that this team is able to compete. They're just not able to able to win, um, which I think is kind of the, the next hurdle that they need to make. And I don't, can they? I don't, I don't know. Um, 
you know, I this was one of the, the, the and it's so funny. I, I, you know, I'm making all these points. The Cowboys and Dolphins, who I are, are I'm calling frauds essentially at this point, are the, actually the two teams that I bet to win the Super Bowl this year. And again, I'm I'm not. It's not that I. It's not that I think that they're going to win. It's not that I'm expecting them to win. It's just based on the value of what that price was prior to the season, based on you know the, kind of the disparity in talent that I thought this team these teams could kind of produce going into the year. And obviously through the first like you know four or five games, though that take was 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 sky high. And you know those were like you know. They were they were two of the favorites to win the Super Bowl at that point, and obviously kind of cooled off. Uh, you know, now seeing that every good team that they play, they're not able to win. Right? We think about the Cowboys going back to that Sunday night game against the 49ers; they lose forty-two to ten. So, uh, wh- I mean, yeah, right? Wh- wh- what are we doing there? Uh, you know, it just is like every time these teams are are able to, you know, or, or have have faced a game in which the opponent uh, offensively and defensively are better than them, they haven't been able to haven't been able to come through. So. That's my take on the Cowboys and Dolphins. Maybe it's just a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's a little bit of emotional hedge, just making me feel good about myself, despite having bet on these teams win the Super Bowl and kind of seeing them fall apart before my eyes. But again, and the Cowboys' upcoming schedule is the exact opposite um, of the Eagles. So, I, you know, I think that there's there's a lot to come in terms of like. The Cowboys and Dolphins are both going to win a lot of games, respectively, across the rest of the season. They're both going to get into the playoffs for sure. It just ends up being like in the playoffs, they're going to face teams like the Eagles and the Chiefs and the you know the 49ers and the Bills, where teams that you know they've they've lost to pretty significantly, uh, you know, so far this season. And I think that that's probably going to reign true again in the playoffs, unfortunately. But hey, there's always a chance to uh, for something crazy to happen, and I'm going to be hoping for it all the way down. Last team or last uh, last kind of NFL topic that I'm talking about for for today's uh, today's podcast. It was the Sunday night game. It was the Bengals and the Bills, and this was a kind of our heavyweight matchup. We were anticipating it ever since the game was uh, interrupted by um, you know by by the unfortunate incident uh, regarding or involving Demar Hamlin last year. Then you know the game ends up getting canceled. We're not able to see who wins that game. Well, we get the rematch here, and the Bengals proved victorious, and and they won. So they won twenty four to eighteen, which you're like that's 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 a pretty close game. But the game was twenty one to seven at halftime. So you're it's it's it was kind of one of those similar to the Chiefs and, and Dolphins where it's like okay hey, yeah the Bengals were up by you know by two touchdowns going into halftime. You know they don't have to score a ton of points in the second half, and they know that. You know, based on how their defense has been has been tra- based on how the how the whole team has been trending the past few weeks, you know they 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 are comfortable playing with a lead and they know when they need to put it put the put the put the pedal to the metal is what I was trying to say um, and be able to score if they need to. So I will say that it looks like the offense is just absolutely back on track right now, and that's obviously all due to Joe Burrow. And we had complete skepticism of him for the first few weeks. He didn't look healthy. His calf was 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 hurt in the off season. He wasn't able to rehab, or you know, he wasn't able to kind of you know correctly be able to you know to to get all the time in with his team that he wanted to. And and then he reaggravates the calf injury in a game earlier in the season, and we're like, oh my god, you know the Bengals are falling apart. The defense was giving up a ton of you know ton of yards and and and, and points. Um, but I don't know why. And and I I I think even on a on an on earlier episode, I was just like, you know, I knew it. This game was this team was gonna be bad. You know, I I I was because I had I think I picked like the under uh, on their season win total. It was like eleven and a half, and I said they're gonna go under. Like they may be really good again, but they're probably gonna go under. And at this point, I don't even feel that confident in that take, um, because I was like, well, they gave up their two safeties that were you know that were so good for them last year. Joe Burrow's dealing with the calf. They're, you know, T Higgins is in a contract year. He's probably gonna get traded. All this stuff. And yeah, those reasons are still valid and or um, uh, valid, but like. This defense, man, I don't know how Lou Anarumo does it. He's I he's the best defensive coordinator in the league right now. I'm gonna say it, bar none. Um, 
because the talent is sufficing, right? It's not it's not great, it's not horrible. Um it's it's very mediocre, but he gets the most out of these guys. He's he's the best at adjustments. He just knows, okay, based on how my team is gelling, based on the the current talent that I have on the roster, what can I pull off? What can I not? What is the other team doing mid-game, halftime? We're going to make these adjustments. We're going to go out there and win the game. And that's exactly what he's doing. And he continues to do it. And he's proved me wrong 3 years in a row now where the Bengals have started out losing more more games than they've won in the first, you know, six, seven weeks, and then they just come back on an absolute tear. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do it again. Now, obviously, you know, you're facing off against the Ravens in your own division in terms of kind of, you know, projecting out where we're going for the rest of the season here. And I don't think the Ravens are going to give up that crown anytime soon. And that was a team that I was extremely right about. Um, I did pick the Ravens to go uh, to, to, to win this division and, and have the best record in football. And that's looking like it's it's a pretty good chance to happen here so far. But the Bengals are back, man. And 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 so throw out all the all your prior all the you know the 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 data that you've collected so far this season because none of that even matters now. Like we have to go back to last year what this Bengals team was when they went into Kansas City and almost won that game to be able to go to a second straight Super Bowl uh, I, I really think they can do it again man like I, I could see Joe Burrow winning the MVP like all this stuff is in play now for how well the Bengals are playing right now and I like to see it you love to see it too right like you know, this is a team, you know, a fan base that hasn't had any success you know prior to Joe Burrow getting there and so you know I think that there's a lot you know a lot kind of um to, to, to say for, you know, this team that has looked really bad to start all of these seasons and just comes out and absolutely dominates throughout the rest of the season. So, um, yeah, so obviously props to the Bengals. On the Bills side, it's 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 beginning to get a little bit worrying. Um, I, you know, like the offense just hasn't looked so – it just hasn't looked normal for the past few weeks, and I think a lot of that – there's two reasons, right? The first reason is that Josh Allen, I think – I mean, again, he had the elbow injury last year that he played through, but we saw that by the by the end of the season, he could barely throw it. He injures his throwing shoulder this year, and we've seen so far that he again he's he plays through. He, like, he's probably the toughest guy in the league, but but he hinders himself by playing through these injuries when he's not capable of actually being at his, you know a hundred percent. And obviously, it, it's a catch twenty two because they have to win these games, right? Like you need to win the division or at least be able to make the playoffs. Right now, they're they're basically even even odds to, to make the playoffs or not. And, and, and that's not a place you want to be in. And so if you don't have Josh Allen, you're not going to make the playoffs. And that's, I think the kind of the, you know, the, the, the game that they're playing right now is like, he's not a hundred percent. He's clearly hurt. He's clearly hindered. He's not able to throw the deep ball. Like he's been in the past few years or kind of on that, you know, the, the, the meteoric season that we've seen. And yet he still leads the NFL in EPA per play, you know, from a passing standpoint. So you're thinking he's he's extremely efficient. He, he's doing everything he possibly can. And yet we still seem like something's a little bit off about this offense. And, and I think, you know, I'm not going to go too in the weeds here, you know, just kind of, you know, just, just kind of surface level stuff a little bit. Um, going into the year, the Bills wanted to, you know, they drafted Dalton Kincaid in the, in the draft last year. They have Dalton... Um, uh, Dawson Knox as well as another tight end. And they wanted to kind of emulate, I think, a little bit of what, you know, the 49ers and Dolphins run, where, like, we're going to kind of establish the run. We're going to have Josh Allen throw on top of that. We're going to run a lot of 12 personnel. And if you're unfamiliar with that term, that essentially means that you have two tight ends on the field at all times. And if you have two tight ends, that's kind of essentially one less wide receiver that you're going to have out uh, on the field. Meaning that, you know, yes, you're, you're going to focus on the run game, but you're able to kind of run some play action and, and get your tight ends out in space off of that. And we saw that employed, I think, for the first kind of half of the season, not not really working too much, right? And so 
ironically enough, Dawson Knox gets hurt and he's on the, he's on the IR now. And, and we've kind of seen this Buffalo offense kind of come to life a little bit. Um, the past game, this past game against the, uh, against the Bengals again, like I said, it's, it's, I have another explanation coming up, but I think it's also just their defense is really good right now. And that's just a team that, that the Buffalo bills can't beat right now. Like to be honest. Um, but I think that like the, the, the way that, that the offense has trended is almost, I think it's still, I still have faith. I don't think I'm not giving up everything that I have on the bills. And, and, and a lot of people are those completely selling the bills. I still have faith in them. Um, but it's almost that this, this Dawson knocked injury, I think has unlocked something or at least looked like it was going to unlock something in the offense. But then I heard this on another podcast credit to um, the simple handicap by Adam Chernoff. He, he does a lot of like NFL betting stuff and he brought this up and I thought it was the craziest. Like it's almost like, conspiracy level stuff which i i love i love a good conspiracy but this actually makes sense and it's so crazy so sean mcdermott he's the head coach for the bills right in the past few years the bills defense has been called by a guy named leslie frazier and he's been known to be a good defensive coordinator through i mean he's been in the league for for, for you know decades really um calling defenses and Towards the end of last year, you had the playoff games, you know, again, Skylar Thompson scores like 30 points on this offense, you know, in the first round of the playoffs last year. And you're thinking, all right, Leslie Frazier might not be, uh, you know, might not be up to snuff here. So they actually, like, they didn't fire him, but they kind of, like, relieved him of his duties. Like, I think he's still, like, an analyst on the team, but he's not calling the, the defensive plays. That would be Sean McDermott. Now, before Sean McDermott... um you know, took the job as the head coach of the Bills, he was, he was, you know, he's been a lifelong defensive coordinator. And so he was like, okay, well, I'll assume the calling of the defense. And there's a theory out there now, which again, I, I love, I love just being able to kind of throw this stuff out there and see if it's, you know, see if it sticks, like see if it's actually true. And it would be crazy if this is true, where Sean McDermott is almost purposefully running or, or telling the offensive coordinator what to run, or at least you know, showing that like Josh Allen might be a little bit hurt or like essentially not maximizing the bills potential on offense and calling defense, calling the defense such that, you know, you're like, you're kind of, kind of the cover two thing, cover two shell thing where like, you're not going to give up a lot of pass yard or, you know, you're not, you're not going to give up anything deep. You're going to kind of let every, keep everything in front of you. Maybe let the offense, you know, the opposing offense score, uh, you know, a couple points, but not necessarily let the de- let the offense score a ton of points such that his defense looks better. And the offense is kind of like whatever, such that he can keep his job and, you know, remained as the head coach of the bills. And I think that would be the absolutely most like diabolical thing that you can do but again if you're in that situation you know what are you gonna do so it is very interesting um the fact that like he would he would purposefully play defense in such a way that would limit the offensive possessions of both teams such to such that the the game is lower scoring to make the offense look worse and the defense look better i i it's 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 a very interesting theory and and one that you know i haven't fully fleshed out yet but i heard that and i was like wow that's actually what if that's true like that that would be that would be pretty pretty crazy so um yeah, so those are the three kind of, you know, games that, that that I wanted to discuss. Obviously, it was kind of the three biggest games of this past week and and we kind of get a we got a good feel for for where these top teams are in relation to each other uh, at the top of the AFC and the NFC respectively. Next week, I think I'm going to go I'm going to do a, more of a deep dive in terms of the AFC versus, versus the NFC overall um because we're beginning to see that especially on the, you know, the 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 bottom side of the league, uh the worst teams are all in the NFC. Uh, even the top of the NFC is looking a little shaky now here with the with the 49ers having lost three straight games. They're coming off a bye. We'll see what they're able to do against Jacksonville this week, but 
But the AFC just looks so much stronger than the NFC, and I'm gonna do. I think that's probably gonna be my main, uh, my main NFL topic for next week, doing a little bit of deep dive on stats and and just see what I can come up with in terms of really being able to compare these two conferences and 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 ultimately like you know what the Super Bowl matchup is going to be and how that may be impacted by the strength and lack thereof uh, of these of these two conferences in comparison to each other. Moving on to college football now, we had the release of the college football playoff rankings, um, which again didn't change the top eight uh, teams were, were still basically the exact same. And so, and so kind of the question becomes like, you know, when are they going to change? Um, I don't think they will anytime soon, especially because none of the teams that are ranked in the top five to eight, like play either play each other nor play really any other, other, other hard teams. Um, the big game this week is obviously going to be Michigan versus Penn state. And you know, that's a, that's a top 10 matchup technically. Uh, but, um, but Michigan is, I mean, they're a four-point favorite. I think they're probably going to crush Penn State. So in that case, right, the top four is probably going to be remain unchanged, basically until Ohio State plays Michigan, which is the last week of the season. So that we still have three weeks until then. And obviously, you know, if Florida State loses or Georgia loses somehow, um, then yes, they'll they'll move down. But I don't see that happening. Like I see both teams getting to their conference championships undefeated and probably winning those conference championships as well. So the Big Ten is really kind of the only, I think the only kind of, um, you know, really really conference that could change even by the end of the year uh but even even still like that's like you know in in the, in the next you know you know week or like one or two weeks nothing's really going to happen um again that's going to kind of be my topic for next time is talking about college football playoff scenarios but i think it'd be fun to just kind of go over like hey what happens if you know washington goes undefeated they win the pac-12 and you know are they in the playoff so i'm gonna go over that all that next week too but i wanted to kind of focus in on the michigan um sign stealing scandal uh, again um it, 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 it because now the big thing is you know what what's the what's the punishment for Michigan right what should we do you know is it is it you you know you you, you find John Harbaugh or you fire John Harbaugh you let him go whatever or you know do you punish the program itself like you know they're not able to compete in any bowl games or they're not able to compete um in you know in, in any like if they you know they make it to the championship game or whatever like they're not able to compete there either uh and and they're there's not going to have like, unfortunately, as much as I think it like the media wants it to happen because it's like, Oh, they cheated. It, there's not going to be any punishment. And that's why I put in the title. They're not going to face any punishment. Okay. The argument is yes, Michigan cheated. Okay. And I'm going to tell you, and you, if you listen to my last episode, I said pretty much the same thing. Everybody does this. Everybody cheats. It was the same with NIL before, you know, now players can get paid for their name, image, and likeness before players were getting paid in grocery bags because it didn't matter that the universities like, you know, had, didn't have like the NCAA didn't have a rule or whatever. The universities, these teams are going to get their players if they wanted to, and if that means you pay them a, a boatload of money, that's what you got to do. In a similar case here, where every team has player has you know guys going to other games and trying to steal signs of other teams' opponents. This was just the first time that someone got caught doing it. Uh, again, don't know why he re- used his real name and everything. It's whatever. I guess we'll, we'll never know that. Um, but then it comes out that like other teams both inside and outside of the Big Ten, were aware that Michigan was stealing other teams' signs to the point where, um, and actually, in in the in the semifinal last year, because, you know, so Michigan played TCU in the, in the national championship semifinal last year. TCU won that game, you know, crazy upset. Michigan was like 10-point favorites. Um, TCU won the game and came out afterwards. Well, essentially, when this first came out that Michigan, you know, was doing the sign-stealing thing, TCU actually came out and they were like, yeah, we knew that they, that they had our signs. And... 
we use it against him, right? So they changed their signs prior to the game so that, that Michigan wouldn't really be able to do anything uh, or at least wouldn't be able to anticipate what they thought they were going to get based on having their signs. Similarly, we see the tweet or yeah, that there, there was a tweet that surfaced was a video last year of Michigan when they played Ohio State and you saw Connor Stallions, who was the guy who was, you know, kind of the, the ringleader for this whole. He was the guy who was actually going to these games and stealing the signs. He it's a, it's a play where CJ CJ Stroud's on offense. You know Ohio State's running a play, and you see CJ, uh, Connor Stallions standing standing next to the defensive coordinator from Michigan. And what people are assuming, or at least they're saying, is like here this is a perfect example of you know he he already knew Ohio State's signs, and he was standing next to the defensive coordinator, so he could tell them or tell the guy what Ohio State was running on offense. And if you watch the rest of the play that that was you know this video was taken of Ohio State scores a touchdown on that play, and it's like what are you doing? Like all these people who are like oh we need to banish Michigan, they're doing everything wrong. Like look at look this is absolutely blatant version of cheating, and it's like yeah it's a blatant version of cheating, and they're getting scored on in the process right now. Obviously Michigan won that went on went on to win that game, but but I think that right it, it all boils down to like you know how, how much is this actually affecting Michigan winning games? Maybe a little bit, but like they're a talented team. They're an extremely good team, and they're crushing all their opponents. And if they if they have, regardless of whether or not they have their signs, I think they'd still be winning all of these games. There's also something that comes out that says that Ohio State, among other teams, I think Rutgers and Purdue, I think we're you know we're two of the other teams involved here, also were aware that Michigan was stealing team signs, and so they said the you know these are the signs that we used to you know basically they were sharing their signs among other teams in the Big Ten in advance of Michigan playing them to be like, we know that Michigan is sealing our signs. Here's what our signs mean for this. How about you guys use the same signs? That way you can throw them off guard and run the plays against them. And so it's essentially, again, another version of this TCU thing where, you know, other teams were, were using Michigan signs, you know, the sign sealing thing against him. And, and so the argument comes down to like, oh, oh, there was another thing too. Uh, Ryan Day, who's the head coach of Ohio State, apparently his brother owns a private investigative firm and he, and like, there's rumors now that like Ryan Day was hiring his brother to look into Michigan, the sign stealing thing to bring it to light and all this stuff. Like, it's great. Like, and this is why I love college football because you don't get this with the NFL, right? There's never a sign stealing scandal and controversy where the, you know, the head coach of the rival team's brother is, is heading up the organization organization to lead the charge against you know figuring out what's going on here it not happen in the nfl it happens in college football and that's it so yeah so that's why i love college football but um but right the 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 question comes down to though like what is the correct way to punish michigan what do you do to you know to to, to reprimand a team that has essentially and, and again i'm not i may come off as like i don't care that they're breaking the rules it's it's not that it's the fact that you know the rules that they're breaking are are are, are rules that are being broken all, all across the board, and, and and to be able to find every single team, every single um you know school that's 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 also in the process of doing this, it, like it would be impossible. And so yeah, it sucks that Michigan or it's 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 I think it's it's a, it's a good thing that Michigan got caught, got caught. That way, the teams that are currently doing it now are more discouraged to do so going forward. But in terms of, you know, right, what the impact has had on the games, like, I mean, there was a – the Nebraska coach, Matt Rule, came out and he was like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, right, my team has been really good this year and, you know, we lost to Michigan. But it, it sucks to know that, you know, they were just going – they were absolutely cheating the rules of the game to be able to gain an advantage. They Nebraska lost the game 42-7. to Okay, you're telling me that Michigan having Nebraska's signs uh, is causing them to win, or is is the reason why they won by 35, and otherwise Nebraska would have won? No, it was a 35 point difference. Michigan's winning that game either way. All right, so again, that's kind of the other part of this where it's like I don't really know about that. Um, and so, 
but right, obviously it's a bad thing that they did that. Okay, fine. And so the question then becomes, right, you know, what do we do with this punishment or should there be one in general? And I'm going to kind of explain the backstory on like why it, that's not, it's, it's either, it, it's possible to happen, but it probably won't. And I'm going to kind of explain the reasons why. So if the NCAA or any other team or the Big Ten or whatever like tries to sue Michigan or whatever it like then it goes to discovery and there's like they're able to get all the documents to be able to pair everything that they need to know and basically the only thing that they need to prove or the only thing that they are trying to prove is that Jim Harbaugh knew what was going on but so far nothing's come out that says that he knew and he did that probably on purpose he probably does know but there's no physical evidence to say that he does know and and therefore like this can't be legal action the NCAA can't really do anything um you know, besides essentially fine him, I think. And, and so that's why, like, none of this is really going to work out, even if it does, you know, get all the way to being the super bad thing. And as a last point here, th the other thing about this is that, like, Michigan's a really good team. Like, they're the second best team in the country right now. They're ranked number two. They're at the top of the Big Ten. They're probably going to win the Big Ten. They're probably going to go to college, college football playoff. And if they win the national championship, do you realize how much money the Big Ten makes and Michigan itself? But the Big Ten makes so much money if one of their teams wins the college football playoff. And so, right, are you willing to jeopardize all that money, all that extra money? Because that's all that the sport is driven by anyway, right? They just signed a $2 billion TV deal. So they're already making that much money off of, you know, this is this biggest brand, or not biggest, Ohio State's the biggest brand, but the second biggest brand in their conference, the best team so far, you know, right now. Um, I don't think they're going to be willing to do it, right? At least this year. And, and so that's why I'm saying like nothing's going to happen this year. Uh, it'll probably, if anything, it'll be, you know, in the next coming years or whatever. But even then, it's like, okay, what are you going to do? Like, you know, not, not let them recruit like a couple guys or, you know, or, or give them a bowl ban one year so they can't go play, you know, Arizona State in the in the in the in the Chimichanga Bowl or something like what you know what it's not going to mean that much I don't think going forward and so that's why I'm saying it, it kind of sucks in terms of like you know right it, they broke the rules they shouldn't have done it I, I get all that but like in reality like nothing really can come of this and and they can't really physically be punished because there's no evidence that Jim Harbaugh knew this was going on again I think that he did know what was going on I think he probably you know kind of started the whole deal and, and probably headed up spearheaded the mission uh but but there's nothing that said that, that he knew and, and so they're not going to be able to do anything in terms of you know proving that legal you know legally but then in addition to that there's no incentive for the Big Ten to absolutely just punish Michigan and be like, nope, you're, you're eliminated, you're gone, when they're going to make so much money off of Michigan, you know, being on these in these huge TV networks and these huge TV deals. In addition to that, you know, also being in the college football playoff and having a potential chance to win the national championship. Moving on to the rundown section. Uh, got, got a couple things here. First of all, Victor Wamanyama, I put him in the title. Uh, he's, he's a beast. He's the truth. As I said, uh, he went off for 38 points against the Suns. The, the Spurs beat the Suns by like 20 points. Um, and, and it truly is working out, right? Like everything that we thought that Victor Wamanyama could be, everything that, that was rumored to, you know, to, to be, you know, his success and all that, like it, it really is, he, he's proving it to be true. Um, and, and I think that, you know, he, more than others before him have been able to, he's been able to, you know, kind of train his body to be this big, but still this athletic, uh, you know, more so than any, any, anybody before him. I mean, Kevin Durant is the best example of someone who's like basically a point guard at, you know, seven feet tall. Um, and Victor Remyaba is, is, is essentially that, but I think, I think more now I'm not saying he's going to be better than Kevin Durant. I don't think he will be, but this is at least like the future generation of basketball. I think, you know, being able to, to, 
to really kind of show through. So I, I think it's really awesome that 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 uh, that he's here. Um, and and I think that you know the Spurs are not going to be that good, but but him just being able to be in the league and and for us to kind of see uh, his true talent is 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 super cool in my opinion. And then um, second thing here, we have a Jake Paul fight being announced uh, against an actual professional boxer. Now. Again, there's always a caveat to this stuff, and apparently, um, the box that he's facing has not has not. It's an eight round fight, and that boxer has not fought an eight round fight yet. And so, I don't know what the like how that's necessarily going to affect anything. If it's going to give Jake Paul another advantage to where he's basically only fought UFC fighters, or he's he's only boxed against UFC fighters thus far, and the only other boxer that he's faced that he's that he's faced, uh, Tommy Fury beat him right so it'll be interesting to see if he actually can win this fight because he's the only other boxer that he's faced has has beat him and and this is another boxer that he's going to face so it'll be interesting to see what happens there i think it's gonna be in orlando so we'll be actually we'll be able to watch it um unlike it being in like saudi arabia like 3 a.m uh you know eastern standard time there so um yeah so that's all i have for the podcast today i i i it's it's not an hour, but it's we're we're just there about, and that's kind of what I try to keep it at. So I'm happy with kind of what we got out of it here. Uh, as I keep continuing to say, and I keep forgetting to say it at the beginning of the podcast, please leave a rating on the show. Just leave a, a five star rating, four star, even a one star. I don't care. Um, if you hate me and you and you want to tell me what I can do better, then please do that. Or if you love me and and you and you want to suggest more stuff that we can do, also let me know in the in the show ratings on Apple podcasts. And, um, yeah. And, and then I think that's, that's pretty much it. Like I said, Hayden will be back in about a month here. I'll try to get these out continuously, you know, pretty much every week. So I should be back kind of midweek next week and, or, you know, on the weekend or something, um, uh, you know, back in your feed, but I'm just excited to be back. I love doing this and I'm so thankful to everyone for continuing to listen. So I hope that everyone has a great rest of the week and weekend in to come and to enjoy the loveliness of all the sports that are going on right now. It's amazing. All right. Bye-bye.